Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Welcome to New City. A special welcome to people who are here for the first time. Wow. Yippee. We know that coming to church on, what is today? Leap year. Duh. Savings, the daylight savings time. Yep, and uh, um, we know that that's not always easy, and and we're so glad that you are here. Um, We know that not everyone here is familiar with the Bible, so we just had a reading from Matthew, which is a gospel. So that's right here in the beginning of the New Testament. That is one of the biographies of Jesus. We have four of them. Matthew is most concerned with the establishment of the church. So a lot of the angles of of his storytelling is around uh, the establishment of the church. Um, So so first off, I just want to name that the Bible is a dangerous thing to honor. And and this is... um, uh, th- we're just going to get right into it, right? We're, th- we're like kind of on the, on the lip between the end of a sermon series called Hot Take and the beginning of a new sermon series that you'll discover later today. So, um, so uh, and, th- and, this, and this text is a perfect bridge between those two. So first off, I just want to uh, uh, start off with Jesus' Jesus's observation that the Bible is a very dangerous thing to honor. The Bible is a dangerous thing to honor because within the biblical texts, there it is written right down, the stories of the prophets who were people who spoke hard truths in difficult times, who uh, spoke very unpopular truths to people of power, and who most significantly for this community did not see a difference between social justice and faithfulness. Religious observance and social justice were in the same category. Uh, they They were in the same stream. Maybe the different parts of the process, like religious observance, maybe leads to social justice or social justice feeds our religious observance, but uh, nonetheless part of that same process. And the prophets are a really significant part of the Bible. They take up a lot of the Old Testament. Um, and, uh, and, And many consider Jesus to continue to be a prophet. I think that's interesting because you know, I have, um, I have a brother who practices Islam and a sister-in-law who's from Turkey. And, um, and I believe that Jesus is the savior, which means that I believe that Jesus is the manifestation of God on the earth. And uh, my siblings believe that Jesus is a prophet. And it's like, I don't believe that, like, I don't, I, I, I think that that doesn't get quite as far as what a savior does. But a prophet's not chopped liver. Like a prophet's like kind of a big deal. Like a prophet is someone who like changed the world through this. Like I see, I in some time, in some ways, I feel like there's a more shared understanding of of Jesus as prophet than um, Jesus as CEO or Jesus as um, yes. as like the the model of uh, American participation, right? Like I th- I think that it's like yeah, I I, th- I, be- I do believe that Jesus is a prophet. I also believe that he like saved us from a lot of things. So, so uh, we'll get into that at uh, at the end of the sermon. But um, but prophets are really big deals, and they're very dangerous. Um, and and Jesus uh, was a prophet, among other things, in my opinion. And uh, one of the most uh, dangerous things that prophets could do was uh, was a two syllable word in English, <laughs> repent. 
They called people to repent. Uh, to, and, and they called powerful people to repent. But not only powerful people to repent. They called whole societies to repent, starting with the most powerful. So they went to the people who were given the most authority, who were entrusted with the most power, and said, you got to start changing and turning your life around so that all of society can. It was almost an expectation that the person who's in charge of an of a organization or a nation should be the most moral member of that society and should act morally as an inspiration to the people who live there. So, um, uh, so, so, and in, you know, I just think that like talking about repentance during an election year is, uh, is such a fraught topic because it's like the prophets and the call to repentance remind us that our leaders and our society are called to a higher expectation of behavior and morality that faithfulness and social justice together um, uh, need, to, need to be there to transform a society. Um, and prophets were very bold about it. And what I kind of like about prophets is that they didn't give a lot of 10-point plans. They were just kind of like, figure it out, and then they left <laughs> or were killed. And so, uh, they, and so I, 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 like that, I like that heat in the system. I like that they bring a little bit of agitation to, to kind of get people uncomfortable. Um, and then they start conversations and, uh, because ultimately repentance is around turning around. And right now uh, we are in a season called Lent. Uh, Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter. We're on our journey to Easter. And, and Lent is a season of repentance. It's kind of like if, if you all were here in December, like, there's Advent leading up to Christmas, and then there's Lent leading up to Easter. Do you remember this? Not if you remember this. Okay, so like Advent is, I kind of picture Advent as like we're, we're preparing space and we're like getting the manger ready, getting our house ready, we're connecting with friends, and it's a little bit more like community-based. And I think of Lent as like a, a time for you to deeply interrogate what's going on in your life and to ask some hard questions to yourself because if you can't ask hard questions to yourself, then how are we going to ask hard questions to the people who are leading us? Uh, if you can't hold yourself to uh, uh, a thorough and compassionate interrogation of our behaviors and our, our habits and our relationships and our work and our job, then how in the world are we going to be able to hold other people accountable to that? Um, so Lent is kind of this dedicated season for you to do that. And you know, a lot of times people, um, will give things up for Lent or, or try to start new things for Lent. Um, like I, I know people who are like, I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent, or I'm going to give up, um, I gave up YouTube for Lent because the rabbit holes are real, y'all. Yeah, the rabbit holes are so real. And I was like, I'm watching YouTube more than I'm reading the Bible. And I think that is a, a, a disproportionate investment of my priorities. So, um, so I, I'm, just, I'm just toying around with not doing Lent. I notice it, by the way. I, the, the Hamilton videos are getting a lot fewer views nowadays. Uh, and, and, and it's also like sometimes that's, that's powerful. Um, so uh, some, sometimes people are um, giving up things for Lent. And I think that uh, all of that is important because it's, it shows that God can be a little disruptive sometimes. 
that, that following Jesus does involve change, involves stepping out on a limb, uh, stepping into something that might not feel totally comfortable, uh, a, a certain measure of courage, uh, and, and that is what following God always requires. And I think that Jesus is, um, is so poignant around these, uh, the, uh, the persecution of the prophets and the Pharisees, because, you know, morality is always easier to tell in the rearview mirror. Uh, moral decisions is always easier to tell in the rearview mirror. So he's looking at these Pharisees and, and these other uh, teachers who are looking in the rearview mirror, and they're like, wow, the prophets were totally right. They totally got it right, and that's why we honor them, and we build special graves for them, and put up special like flowers, and we read their things, and we think, wow, the prophets are so, so great. And Jesus is saying, what you're forgetting is that the prophets at their time, in the time that they were living, were very contentious figures. They, and it was not clear whether or not they were being the moral voice or if they were just being another agitator or another loud voice that wasn't drawing people to morality. Jesus is saying, uh, like, I know that you're venerating these people who made great decisions, but if you look contemporarily, there's a lot of people who are trying to talk like prophets, and some of them are false prophets, there's a term for that, and some of them are calling us to moral action, and that's the risk that we are called to take as a community of faith, is to discern who are the prophets of our current society, and to figure out how to not just build great graves, but build great movements uh, behind them. Uh, Jesus is saying, you don't honor the prophets who died if you won't listen to the prophets who live. <laughs> uh, like, there, there are people who are trying to say really important things. Important things that might make you say, like, we, that would never work, or, or society would never be able to happen like that, or, or that's not how things are. And, uh, and the prophets are like, yeah, I don't really have a 10-point plan, but we need to figure it out. Um, um, you know, I, I think about uh, in the time of abolition, when uh, many people, including Methodist pastors, were calling for the abolition of slavery, and, and people were like, how is that going to work? Like, uh, the economically, uh, how are we going to be able to make getting rid of slavery work? And, and the prophets of the time were kind of like, I don't know, but we can't enslave people. We just can't. Like, that's just kind of like a, 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 a non-negotiable. So I, th I think that that similarly is, is are things that we have to think about uh, today. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as like a veiled endorsement of any one particular social figure right now. I'm drawing out a dynamic that is always present in human society. There is always going to be people speaking prophetically who are going to just bug us <laughs> and, and, and irritate us. And, and, and one of the acts of faith is to receive the irritation and to believe that God might speak through the agitation as much as God speaks through the grace. And God might speak through the agitation as much as God speaks through the grace. So, um, so I think about um, self-help books. And I'm a, I read a ton of self-help books. I don't know about you, but like, I love like, little books that are like, manage your time better or like be a better like 10 top tips for managing your planner like that kind of stuff i'm obsessed with it and um and as a and uh, i don't know if any of you are those types of people but um uh i i know that as a pastor it's my job to like 
are you all familiar with the term exegete? Like it, it means to, to exegete a text means to try to see how God is moving through a text. So every time I preach, I exegete the Bible. I exegete the Bible. And uh, my job as a pastor is to exegete the world and to try to figure out uh, how God is moving through things and to inspire other people to exegete the world. And so I was exegeting a self-help book, and basically I realized that, uh, <laughs> that self-help books are like another way to title self-help books is make yourself better until you don't feel pain. Like, it's, they're basically just like, like, like if, if, if you just get to hear, then you're not going to feel that pain in your life. Or if you just get to hear, you're not going to feel some agitation in your life that you felt before. If you, if you just organize yourself this way, if you just get up and do this thing, if you just introduce this new habit, then you won't feel pain in your life. Then the things that are hurting you in your life won't be there anymore. And you know, I think, uh, and, and, and the self-help books always say to start with the biggest pain point. You know, like if you're organizing your house, start with the, the biggest pain point of your house and then, and then work from there, right? Um, and you know what? I think that is a very solid half-truth. I think that it's, a, it's, a, it's absolutely true at least half of the time <laughs> that there are some things that, that we need to work on that will relieve suffering and pain in the world. Like, um, uh, there is a half-truth that pain is an indication that something might be wrong. That is true uh, some of the time, for sure. Like, it is definitely true that if you are feeling stressed out about how, if you are feeling stressed out about your bedroom the minute that you step into it because of how much laundry is on the floor, then, like, that is one of the indications that maybe, like, there is a different life style that you can adopt. I see a lot of spouses looking at each other. Wow, okay. <laughs> Just uh, like interested, interested in the car ride home. Yeah, good luck. Uh, the, but the, there is grace in the agitation. Okay, so, um, so you know, I do think, and I, and I think marriage. Um, so I do think that, um, that um, sometimes uh, when, when we feel pain, something's wrong. And that's also true in our bodies, right? Like sometimes if we feel kind of like a, a weird thing or if our bodies feel achy or like if, if we have a hard time breathing or if we can't digest something that we used to digest before, that, that's like your body trying to say like, hey, something's like kind of amiss and I don't really get what's going on, right? So like this, it's, it's an important um, our nervous system and our ability to feel pain and perceive pain is an important uh, like alarm system to figure out if something's amiss. And that is true at least half of the time. Um, but what's interesting is that um, uh, I am in this season as a pastor. I know that we all just made it, made it through a pretty long winter. It was, it was pretty harsh. Um, I don't know about you all, but like I think February was a really difficult month for a lot of people. Um, the pastoral care concerns of the amount of sitting I'm, I'm doing with people has gone up pretty significantly in February. And it's always interesting because the presenting issue or the thing that people come to me to talk about is never, by the way, I've just survived like four months of gray cold and I feel like I'm dying on these sides. It's always like, there's something wrong in a relationship, or there's something wrong with my job, or there's something wrong, right? Like, they, it's always, like, something else that's bothering them. But really, the foundational piece of it is that, like, uh, 
the interior resource is all depleted, and everything becomes agitating when your interior resource is depleted. And um, as a pastor, I think that sometimes I, I have to practice a lot of um, contemplative patience with the pain because, um, you know, I, I just wish that I had like a spiritual pharmacy to be like, ta-da, I can pray this prayer and you instantly won't have problems with your boyfriend or with, uh, with like you instantly won't have the flu anymore or you, your job will uh, suddenly emerge or, or, or um, I'll be able to find you the perfect job listing and you're searching for jobs. Um, sometimes I'm able to do that, but most of the time it's like, we're praying and we're, um, we're just gonna walk together through the hard times. Um, and, and sometimes I feel a little agitated around that because I'm like, man, if we were back in Jesus's time, like if we were in the Middle East, Jesus would have been there and we would have been like, hey, this guy has leprosy. And Jesus would have been like, ta-da! And then like the person wouldn't have leprosy or he'd be like, hey, this guy's looking for a job. And Jesus would be like, ta-da! And it, like, it would, like Jesus, I was like, oh man, if we were just living in Jesus's time when the power of God was so palpable, then maybe like I wouldn't be stuck in that same suffering that I am now. And then I look at scripture like this, like Bible verses like this, um, and I realized that Jesus felt frustration. Jesus, who I believe was God on earth, who could, who could do miracles and who could transform lives and hearts and, and who could uh, gather movements of people together, Jesus felt frustration. Sometimes there were things that were going on that Jesus wished would be different. And that's his whole indictment of Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, Jerusalem, I really wish you would accept the maternal love of God. I want to gather you together like a hen gathers her brood. I wish that you would accept that God wants to love you so deeply. And instead of accepting that love, you are persecuting the people who are agitating your society and, and crucifying the people who are telling the truth. And I, I just think, like, what a moment for Jesus to be looking at the city where surely he knew he himself would be crucified and to look at the city and wish that things were different but know that he isn't going, to isn't going to change it with a snap of his fingers. I think the amount of self-restraint that Jesus shown in that moment is so amazing. Right, because we believe Jesus is the Christ. That means, uh, we meaning people who identify as Christian. I know that not all of you identify as Christian. Um, we believe that Jesus is Christ, meaning that Jesus was there when the mountains were formed and the oceans were all the way cut to their depths and there was like that fish with the... The anglerfish with the lights, like Jesus was like, yeah, that looks weird, but go ahead. And then like, and Jesus like invented our like hormonal system, which is very complex. And like the human eye, big deal. And like Jesus like thought like was like fire. Wow, what a cool thing. I'm going to, you know, like Jesus invented all this stuff. And Jesus was speaking through evolution and was like, okay, we're going to do this. And then let's like over the course of a million years, see what happens over here. And like Jesus was like, I can make stuff happen. Jesus never needed a self-help book about productivity because Jesus knew how to make stuff happen. And, and then there's Jesus up against Jerusalem, looking at this town that kills people like him. And he's saying, I could change all of this with a stamp of my fingers. I'm not going to, because I believe that human beings should have freedom and choice. 
And uh, the reason why that is is because there is no love without choice. Uh, Jesus is saying, I want people to opt into a relationship with God. I don't want to force people into a relationship with God. I want people to say yes to God. And if I'm going to do that, then that I need to give them permission to say no to God. And Jesus, knowing that it would cost him his life, allowed for Jerusalem to say no to the truth, to, uh, to allow Jerusalem to feel in a, a level of agitation that was too much that they crucified Jesus, to allow uh, the agitators and the prophets to continue to be victimized by that. And this is uh, where Jesus offers a really interesting reframe of pain. Uh, he offers the other half-truth, the, the, the complete truth. Because it's true that pain is sometimes an indication that some, something's wrong. Or rather, that it can be an indication that something's wrong. However, pain can also be an indication that something's coming. Like any mother can tell you, I should say someone who has experienced pregnancy can tell you, discomfort is part of new life, folks. <laughs> Pain is one of the indications that new possibilities are emerging. It's not just that something's wrong, but it might be that something's coming, that something is so right, but the pain is a necessary step for us to move through in order to get to the next thing that's coming. I wonder what would change if you looked at your February or your worst season, whatever it might be, and instead of looking at it, looking down at it like it was something that was wrong or tons of problems or only something that needed fixing, if you look at your problems like it's the doorway that will lead you to something else emerging. Like God might be waiting for you on the other side of it, and this right now is a test of endurance for you to be able to Step through the pain faithfully. Gosh, we're so obsessed with um, narcotization in America. And, and we have such a hard time exegeting our pain because we only believe that pain is an indication that something is wrong. And so we want to fix it as fast as possible. Our whole pharmaceutical industry reflects this. Our whole punitive uh, 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 justice system, justice system reflects this, right? Like we're not willing to have reconciliation conversations. We just need to punish people, right? Like all of this is symptomatic of an unwillingness to see pain as something that is emerging, something new that could come out of it that's beautiful. And Jesus is looking at Jerusalem and is saying, hey, Jerusalem, y'all are about to fuck up big. <laughs> y'all are about to... <laughs> Y'all are about to mess up big time. Wow. You know, honestly, though, I'm impressed that it's taken this long. I'm impressed that it's taken this long. If y'all have been to staff meetings, bless the Lord. I mean, but with that said, though, like, is that not the, in the like, yeah, the kids are downstairs. OK. See? Oh, welcome to New City Church, first-timers. Um, 
I mean, I feel like, honestly, if we were to talk about, like, a common English translation of what Jesus is saying, <laughs> it's like, hey, folks, you're about to mess up really big time. Like, like, this is about, you're about to make the biggest mistake of humanity, is what Jesus is telling Jerusalem. Like, you're going to crucify God. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty big whoopsie doopsie, right? <laughs> Um, and, <laughs> and I, yeah, now I'm like super euphemizing it, like, it's a, <laughs> everyone gets one. And, <laughs> and, uh, and also, like, God is like, hey, you can say as many F-bombs as you want in prayer. You can, like, uh, like God's not the one that's offended, right? just sensibility, um, respectability. So, Jesus was looking at this city of Jerusalem, and he's like, you're about to make the biggest mistake of humanity, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt me, for sure, but it's going to hurt all of society, because all of society will have to grapple with the fact that they executed God. And even when it hurts, even on the crucifixion Friday, even on the Saturday of not knowing what's going to happen, and even on Sunday when a new hope emerges, never lose sight of the fact that something really, really good can come out on the other side of this. That God can speak through pain. That wisdom can rise like prayer from all of the smoldering ashes of our lives. This is what resurrection that's, this is what resurrection means and requires all of the faith that we can muster and more. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, I pray that you can be a God who um, accompanies us in the pain and the agitation, who gives us the ears to listen to the people who are pointing out society's pain, that you can give us the heart to listen to our bodies in the way that we know that we are doing something uh, that is not serving our well-being, and to give us the power to correct the problems, God. And, God, we know that it requires faith. We know that it requires believing that not everything is a problem to be fixed, but rather a birth process to emerge through and, and God, I pray that you give every heart and mind in this room the brave discernment to be able to listen to you and to listen to how you are emerging, how a new life is possible through you, God. Please, God, we beg you, give us the courage and faith to see pain in a new way. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this is really important in an election year uh, to be able to not be caught off by the swinging pendulums of news and bombastic reports, uh, to not uh, uh, just keep going around uh, and, and hammering nails, but rather for us to discern who uh, a leader of our country will be who will bring about a moral society, um, who will put into place a society that is responsive to 
the prophets. Um, and, and for this reason, and because of community input, and because it's something that I get asked of a lot, we are going to do our next sermon series on the book of Revelation. Ooh. We're going to look at uh, heaven and hell, and we're going to talk about uh, what the Bible is really trying to get at when talking through this very prophetic language, which is necessarily coded in certain parts. And we're going to talk about how Christianity was never meant to be a religion about condemnation. Christianity was never about condemnation. Christianity was always about liberating love. And I believe that revolution, and I believe that not despite of revelation, but because of revelation. Uh, so we're going to get into it. And also because, like, I know a lot of folks in this community have, like, that one uncle who goes to a church who is like, there is only one way to read the Bible and there's only one way to understand the afterlife. And if your church isn't preaching that one way, which by the way, historically was not always present, okay? And especially outside of the West, okay? Um, if, we, if your church is only, then it's not a real church. And I'm like, you know, actually we have some receipts <laughs> about, about how uh, uh, Revelation isn't about condemnation. It just isn't. Um, and so uh, starting next week, we are going to be entering the sermon series, Revelation Reclaimed, Christianity Without Condemnation. Um, bring your friends and, and know that Revelation is a book that talks about a lot of pain. And your lens for reading that pain changes when you stop seeing it as an indication of something that's wrong and start seeing it as God emerging through pain. Blessings to you, and I'll see you next week. Amen.